Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. This is Henry Lopez, and welcome to this episode of The How of Business. My special guest today is Sharon Winsmith. Sharon, welcome to the show. Thanks, Henry. I'm a big fan of The How of Business podcast. Thank you. I'm a big fan of yours, as as people don't know, but they will soon uh, I got to know Sharon because she has been a coaching client of mine, and now I'm also a client of hers. She's doing some tax uh, analysis and structuring work as well as tax return work for me this year. So we're clients of each other. So uh, what we're going to focus in on this episode is looking at a comprehensive look at tax structuring, tax structuring, <laughs> not structuring, structuring, and wealth building for small business owners. Whether you're thinking about starting a business or you have a small business, these are things you got to be thinking about. Certainly, you can adjust your legal entity and your structure over time. And in fact, you should. And what I'm going to chat with Sharon on this episode is just that holistic view and then some tactical and practical tips to think about, at least some questions to think about that might lead you to either, either schedule a free consultation with her or speak to your current tax advisor about how you might structure things differently to take full advantage of the, the money and the wealth that your small business is helping you build. If you want to receive more information about the Howa business, including links to the show notes page to this episode, and also to schedule a free coaching consultation with me, you can text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 772-837-5700, or just visit thehowabusiness.com. So let me tell you a bit about Sharon. Sharon Winsmith is an experienced tax attorney and the founder and owner of Winsmith Tax, which is focused on helping her clients develop sustainable tax strategies for building more wealth. After working 10 years in public accounting, including several years working in the tax structuring department of a big four accounting firm, she decided to start her own business, Winsmith Tax. With years of experience assisting clients with income, corporate, and international tax issues, as well as a tax consultant and audit, as well as tax consulting and audit defense, rather, she's now bringing her expertise to a broader clientele, ranging from individuals located in the U.S. and abroad, and businesses of all types and business owners like myself. She has worked a wide range of clients from high net worth individuals to Fortune 500 companies to structure their global operations, but you can benefit from her advice as you'll listen to today, even if you don't have a global operation yet. Sharon's Sharon's specialties include developing tax strategies, tax structuring, tax planning involving intellectual property, and she has personally assisted clients with developing tax structures for acquisitions totaling over $45 billion throughout her career. So I'm fortunate to have her as an advisor and a friend. Sharon lives in New York City. So once again, Sharon Winsmith, welcome to the show. Thanks, Henry. I'm excited to be here and hopefully I can provide some helpful tax tips to your audience. Yeah, I know that you will. But before we dive into it, I'm always interested in the journey. And so you had this successful career in corporate tax, uh, for lack of a better term, working for Big Four. Did you always think you'd open your own firm? Tell me about those early days and what you were thinking. 
I didn't always think that I would. I mean, it was always kind of a dream of mine to have my own business and to build something myself. I've always been kind of entrepreneurially minded. And, you know, when you work at a big company, that can really kind of kill your entrepreneurial spirit because you realize you're never going to kind of have an impact on the strategy or, or have an impact on the company in any kind of real way. So I kind of started to look around and assess, okay, did I want to be a partner at this firm for the rest of my life? And is this the life I want or should I just kind of make the leap and, and do it? And so over, you know, a few years, I kind of identified this area of the market which is, you know, small to mid-sized business owners and investors that I felt like were really not being served by the big four or really being served by anyone in the tax industry. So things kind of came together. And so I started this business a couple of years ago and, you know, it's, it's, it's been great. It's been an experience for sure. Did you have entrepreneurial influences in your life growing up? I did. I kind of come from a very entrepreneurial family. Um, my grandfather actually owned his own pharmacy in, in a small town in South Carolina, and I always thought that was really cool. And I always kind of looked up to him and admired him for that. And then my father as well is also an entrepreneur, and he always kind of you know embedded in me these principles of thinking about things from a business perspective and a practical perspective. Um, and he's very kind of savvy financially. So I think, you know, after growing up with him and listening to him and the way he talked and thought about things, I think really kind of set me up to, to have this type of future. Mm -hmm. And I can see where that led to leveraging your, your law experience or tax experience, but focusing on helping small business owners with their wealth building, right? Absolutely. I mean, I really do believe, and, and it's certainly proven true to me since I've started this business, that this is an area of the market that just is not being adequately served at this point by, you know, CPAs and accountants. So I really think that it's all about kind of bringing the education to business owners to help them understand why having a tax strategy is critical to the success of your business and to, to building wealth on a, on a larger level. Yeah. I'm curious, I'm always curious when people make that transition from the corporate world, you were at the big four to being on your own. Uh, when you think back at it, it's not been that long. What were some of the early challenges that you had to overcome more mentally? I'm talking about mindset if more than anything else to make that transition. I think for me, um, you know, I think we get kind of addicted to a paycheck in this country. I think we're kind of, you know, raised to think, okay, go to college, get a good job at a big company and stay at that company and, you know, hopefully get promoted over time. So it's kind of funny because it's a little bit embarrassing because I am a tax professional, but I was just addicted to this paycheck at this company. And, you know, I finally realized, okay, I have to think about this on an after-tax basis because if I go start my own business, you really, you know, the taxes you pay as an employee are, are awful. You, there's really not a lot of planning you can do to, right. to minimize the taxes, you know, when you're getting a salary. But, you know, I know, as you know, Henry, as a business owner, it's a different ballgame. I mean, the deductions that are available to you, as well as the ways you can kind of structure your investments passively, you can really set up a situation where you only need to make half as much as you were at this company, and you're still having the exact same lifestyle and the same money in your pocket at the end of the day. So I think getting over that hurdle, um, and that's just, I think, just an incorrect way to think about it. Um, also, 
you know, I had to really kind of step back and look at the people I worked for. And I saw, I thought, oh, this will get a lot easier and a lot less stressful the higher up I get. But that's the opposite of the case. And I found that, hmm. you know, the the partners that I was working for were just, they were always stressed. They, they did not have a good quality of life. Um, and I just decided that isn't what I want. I want more out of my life. And so that was, I think, what ultimately forced me to make the jump. Yeah, that makes sense. It, uh, how about dealing with, you know, one of the things that we also get comfortable with is the resources that are available to us when we're in that corporate environment. And then all of a sudden you're by yourself, right? You don't have an HR, you don't have a marketing, you don't have an admin, you, you know, it's just you. Uh, how was that transition? That, so that, that is something that, that does have to be done. I mean, I think that kind of goes both a different way because, you know, working at a big company, there's a lot of useless admin that you have to deal with. And so I found that working for myself, the amount of work I can get done, you know, between Mm. nine to five is, is insane compared to, you know, I, the amount of work it would take the same amount of time it would take me working at a company because you just have to deal with a lot of stuff that just doesn't make a lot of sense. And you don't, you don't have to ask for permission, do you? Yeah, you don't, you don't have to fill out all these useless, you know, admin documents to just protect the company from getting sued. You don't have to take um, HR training videos to, you know, check a box, that type of thing. So there's a lot of stuff I think that's inefficient that you'll gain back in time. But with that said, I mean, there definitely are challenges that you face as a business owner. Um, I think probably the biggest challenge I faced is trying to find the right advisors myself as a, as a business owner. Um, you know, I still have that challenge today, as well as finding the right team members to help you with, with some of the things you mentioned, Henry, you know, on a go forward basis. That is a challenge. Um, you know, there are a lot of platforms today like Upwork and, you know, the use of virtual assistants that I think can really help. And you just have access to people all over the world that are so talented in their areas that has made that a lot easier for me. Um, but getting that infrastructure in place at the beginning is definitely something that, that you'll need to have a plan for as, as a new business owner. Yeah, two, two great points. I really hadn't really thought about that perspective that on the flip side of having resources is all of this, this process that you have to fight through to, to get something done. Interesting point. And then your point on resources, I was just having a conversation with another client of mine, another small business owner earlier this morning. And, and where it poses a challenge is, you know, when we're at, when one of the parts of having the resources of a large organization is they've got those people, that resource already lined up, vetted. They come to them as opposed to you having to go hunt them down. So sometimes when we're on our own, it's harder to find those partners and advisors and so forth, isn't it? It is. And it's important to make sure you have kind of other business owners that you have frequent contact with. You know, I, mm-hmm. I know, you know, Henry, if if I had not had your mentorship and, and your help, you know, with, with coaching at the beginning of setting up my business, I would not be sitting here today. So it is very important that you make sure you still have those connections with people, even though you might not work under the same company umbrella. Yeah, no. And I appreciate that. I think also what you're touching on there, I always say is it can be very isolating because that's the other thing. Now you're on your own. And so the sooner you can build a network of peers, mentors, coaches, some combination thereof, that's critical because we can very quickly get very isolated is what I've found. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, let's start to dive into it. But let me just read a quick legal disclaimer for what it's worth. Henry Lopez, me, I'm not an attorney. Sharon Winston is an attorney, but she probably is not your attorney. So what we're going to talk about is experiences, general advice on this episode. 
We're not offering specific legal advice. Anybody before you apply any of the things we talked about here related to structuring or how you set up an entity or anything, you need to seek your own legal and or tax guidance. So be sure to do that. All right, having said that, let, let's dive into it. Um, I thought I'd start with this broad question at the top and then we can break down. I've kind of already touched on it, but, but why as a small business owner do I need to either plan for or start to take action as it relates to building my wealth and, and, and we'll start to get into how structuring my business comes into play? Yeah, and that's a very good question, Henry. So you really have to think about things on a comprehensive basis. And so, you know, when you're thinking about running your business as a business owner, you've got to be focused on the bottom line. So, you know, taxes are going to be most likely your largest expense, not your rent, not your mortgage, not anything else, not salaries, it's going to be taxes. So unless you have a plan in place, that is going to have a very drastic negative impact on your bottom line. Um, you know, otherwise, as people don't really think about how much just reducing your taxes by just a couple of percentages can have a drastic impact on the amount of wealth that you're able to build. Um, you know, I think we're all familiar with the concept of compounding. And so mm -hmm. the sooner you can take action, the sooner you can reduce the amount of money that, that you have to send to the government and, you know, instead take that money and invest that in, you know, a tax preferred way that is going to have a significant impact on the amount of wealth that you have at the end of the day when you are looking to, you know, retire or, or exit your business. So if you do not minimize your tax, you're, it's, you know, you're going to have a really hard time um, ever really building any kind of real wealth in a, in a real way. So that's one way. And I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we all want freedom. We want the freedom to be able to travel where we want and not have to be kind of tied down all the time to our business. And so to the extent that you can really minimize your tax expense, you're putting more money into your pocket and you're, you're increasing your cash flow and your bottom line. So, you know, that's something that's going to be very critical to think about things from an after-tax standpoint, whether it's, you know, running your business or, you know, how should I invest my savings? You have to always think about things, you know, what are they going to be after-tax? Yeah, great, great points. Two things that immediately come to mind, Sharon, as, as you're talking about all of this. One is that obviously, as you deal with all the time as business owners, Often this whole tax area, even accounting is, is for a lot of us our least favorite or least skilled area. And so we tend to not ignore it, but we kind of will wait for the CPA to maybe give us guidance at the end of the year, which doesn't happen. We'll, we'll talk about why that is. And so I kind of ignore it and I'm like, well, I'm busy running my business. I'm, I'm doing just fine and I don't even have time to look at that. So that's one part of it that I want to talk to. The other part that, that is often the case that you touched on, I believe, is that we don't know, we start to get exposed by leaving all of our eggs in this one basket of our one business. And, and so I don't know where we, let, let's start with the part about me just not knowing where to get the help or where to get started. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you're thinking about starting a business, one of the first things that you should be thinking about is what structure am I going to use? Yeah. So, you know, if you're going to buy a business or, or even if you're looking at buying an asset and you already own a business or you're going to buy a new business or expand, you need to have a structure in place. And that that is both a legal and a tax structure. So, you know, you never want to be 
operating without an entity. So, you know, I think we've all heard of LLCs. You, if you're going to be earning money, you need to be doing this through a separate legal entity, because if you don't, you put all of your assets at risk. You know, the, the last thing you want is a customer to come and sue you for something that went wrong in your business. But then, you know, they can come after your personal residence. They can come after everything that you own at that point if you don't have that structured properly. Um, you know, there's a number of, well, and we'll touch on this more, I think, later in the show, but there's a number of different reasons why having the proper structure in place is critical to the success for your business. And you need to do that as soon as possible at the beginning. Um, if possible, you know, I know a lot of people don't do that and they're they're already pretty far along and and they're you know the the length of time they've been operating and that you know that's okay too i you know i mostly work with clients that are that are already operating as well so don't let that you know prevent you from reaching out but you need to assess your structure and make sure that it's the right structure for you based on you know your specific objectives and your facts and and so what the approach i've always taken sharon and and you tell me what you think is that like you said, at a minimum, you need to get out of operating as a sole proprietor and have the protections, liability protections that at least an LLC or some other or a corporation provides you. The approach I've always thought also is that I don't, I think sometimes people get stuck because they think I have to get the structure that I create today right for 10 years from now, but I can evolve that over time, right? Definitely. I mean, there's, you know, anytime you, there's going to be a big change, whether you're going to dispose or buy a business or, or something else, there's always ways to kind of change the structure. And, and it might make sense to change the structure at that point. So I would never tell a client, okay, this is the structure for today. And this will be fine for the rest of your life. Like, you're always going to need to kind of every now and then reassess if, if that structure still makes sense. So I tend to lean towards starting when you're starting out a small business to start with the simplest structure, at least it gives you the liability protection and gives you, of course, additional tax benefits from being a sole proprietor, but you'll educate me here in a moment and then evolve later as I need a more complex structure. Is that a right way to go? That is the right way. I mean, I would just caution to always take in mind um, the proper tax treatment. So, you know, uh, most people are going to set up an LLC, unless you're kind of a startup thinking that you're going to take your your company public in the future, right. you're probably going to start with an LLC, um, or maybe in some unique cases of some form of partnership. But there, you might want to treat that LLC as an S corporation, for mm -hmm. example, there might be some tax benefits there from day one. So, it's important to not just, you know, set up your LLC and think I'm fine. Um, you know, there's going to be things we need to think about in connection with that. And the other thing on the legal side is, you know, a lot of people just set up an LLC and think, okay, I'm good. I, I, I'm covered. I set up an LLC and that that's right. my company. But then they, you know, there's still legal requirements. Like you have to really operate your business through that LLC, you can't kind of commingle, you know, the LLC has to have a bank account. You can't commingle that bank account with your personal account. Um, you've got to really treat that LLC as a separate entity and respect that entity or else, you know, the having the LLC is just useless at that point. Yeah. All right. To, to, to kind of move on from this point before I move on rather on this point of it's not my focus. I don't understand it. I think the other thing that that results in is most of us as small business owners have a CPA, nothing, nothing wrong with that person, but all they're doing for us is the transaction of preparing and filing our tax return. And what it highlights for me, and I'm guilty of this as well, 
is not having that periodic check-in with an expert like yourself to analyze, do I need to change or adjust my, my structure? Yeah, that's it. That's exactly right, Henry. I mean, a lot of people and, you know, having the right tax professional on your team, you don't have to do a strategy, you know, every year, every other year, because that person is going to be able to see what you're doing and comment, you know, as, as things change over time. Um, you know, I do tax return preparation as well for a lot of my clients. So that's the best case scenario is they come in, I do a tax strategy plan for them. We get them set up with everything. And then as I'm doing their return every year, you know, I'm meeting with them and talking to them throughout the year. And um, I can advise, you know, here and there on things I see. Um, you know, I just was speaking with a client the other day and, and I don't think he realized he had a massive insurance issue. Um, something he was wanting to do would violate his insurance policy. So, you know, based on my experience, I was able to bring that to his attention and let him know. So, you know, if you have the right advisors on your team, you know, they're not, you should not have a tax person who just is, you know, reaching out to you every year before April 15th to get your return filed yeah. um, and not making any kind of proactive suggestions or, or reaching out to you to really come up with ways and strategies that can help mitigate your taxes on an ongoing basis. So if that's the situation you have where you're, you know, paying a CPA a thousand bucks to prepare your return every year, um, I don't, I wouldn't have a high expectation that that person is, is the right person to really partner with you um, and to really be kind of a valuable member of your wealth building team. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And it's happened to me. I mean, the good CPAs, there's nothing wrong with the work that they do. But what I have found is they're so bogged down with the transaction of getting the tax returns prepared, or maybe, maybe they're offering bookkeeping service or whatever. During that tax season, they're so heads down and then unless I happen to reach out to them later, I'm not getting any of that. Typically, I haven't in the past gotten that proactive guidance on what I might need to adjust from a structure perspective as my business evolves. I, I just haven't found that to be the case with most CPAs. I'm generalizing. So for those CPAs listening who are raising their hand saying, I do, that's fantastic. But that has just hasn't been my experience, Sharon. Yeah, and that, that's definitely what I hear every day, Henry. I mean, it depends on your specific situation. If you're someone who's, you know, I know it's not, um, you know, I know it's not your audience because we're all business owners, but if you're a person who's an employee at a company and you're going to get your W-2 every year and you just have investments in the stock market and that's it, yep. you know, I'm not your person because I, I'm going to charge too much money for that. It doesn't make sense economically to use someone like me. So then yes, go to, go to a CPA and pay them, you know, a thousand bucks a year to do your return and be done with it. But if you're a business owner and you're really serious about maximizing your profits and, and really kind of building wealth in a, in a tax preferred way, then that's when it's really valuable to use someone like myself or, or someone that can really handle more sophisticated planning. Because, you know, at the end of the day, this is something I know, Henry, you and I were talking about. Um, if I can't save you money, I'm not going to charge you on a tax strategy. So right. I have never had a client where I didn't pay my own fees by, mm -hmm. you know, saving them a ton of money in return that are just doesn't even compare to the to the outlay or investment you would have to make up front. Yeah. So I think you're right in everything you said. I agree. This is Henry Lopez with a brief pause to this episode to let you know that one of our sponsors and one of my favorite podcasts, Stroke of Genius, is back for season four. Stroke of Genius season four explores the most pressing questions, fascinating stories, and often overlooked marvels that make up the world of intellectual property. 
From famous copyright cases to the unheard stories behind impactful inventions, each episode transports us to a different place within the landscape of human innovation. This season, they chat with entrepreneurs and innovators who have used intellectual property protections to positively affect issues like COVID-19, food deserts, and everything in between. Join the Stroke of Genius podcast as they dig deeper into the journeys of the world's most influential difference makers. Get more information at ipoef.org and subscribe to Stroke of Genius on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. All right, so you know you um, you talk a lot about the the key benefits of taking this comprehensive tax strategy approach. We've we've touched on I think most of them. Let me just go through the list here that I had. You know, maximizing the profits to reductions in tax costs. That that's it's an obvious one, but it's one that we don't take advantage of as business owners. You you've spoken to that. Uh, a sustainable structure for your business and investments. But but what about this one where where that structure that allows me to be in a better position than to sell maybe part of my business or my entire business? How how does tax structuring come into play there at a high level? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, you need to be thinking about ultimate exit, no matter how far you are away from that. So if you're someone who's, who's potentially maybe wanting to go for an IPO, you know, as your tax planner, I need to know that because there's certain things we're going to have to do with your structure for that. Um, But if you're someone who's building a business that you think you want to pass down to your kids, you know, there's a a very, the way we would structure that is very different. Um, And if you just don't know, like maybe, you know, you start today and you're like, I don't know, maybe I, maybe I will take this thing public in the future. We can bake in that flexibility for, you know, how you want to exit. And then if, if there's a situation where you might sell parts of your business um, and not the full amount or, you know, you might develop some sort of IP that you want to license in the future. There's ways we can structure that that make that a lot more simple to accomplish. Because if you come to me, you know, 10 years down the line, you're like, okay, I want to do this. There's not much I can do at that point. Yeah. Um, you know, the planning really needs to be done as early as possible when the value of your company and the value of the assets is a lot less. I see. I see. Okay. The other thing I touched on a few minutes ago is the common challenge that a lot of small business owners leave the greater portion of their wealth in the one small business. So, so tell me about your thoughts on that and, and some ways to start thinking about that differently. And are you speaking from a diversification standpoint? Yeah, because, yeah. because what I often find for most, you know, not all of us have multiple businesses. Some people do, but even when we do, there's also this whole philosophy that I'd like to get your thought about. You know, I've talked about this on the show before. Like can, a lot of people will continue to reinvest that cash into the business and they don't begin to diversify out of that business. And so as we're talking about this holistic approach to wealth building for small business owners, I'd like to get your thoughts on that and just either as it applies to how that might affect my, my structure, but just overall the philosophies that you have about that. Yeah, and that's a really good point, I think, to take into account. So whether or not you should, you know, or the amount to which you should be reinvesting into your business versus taking that cash out, I guess, really depends on a lot of cases on your specific, you know, goals and your objectives. 
there's case situations where I would say, okay, you know, you need to be setting yourself up in a structure where you can make, a, you know, reinvest a lot of your earnings. Um, but there's also situations where it might make sense to really pull a lot of the cash out, you know, as soon as possible. So I'm certainly not someone who's ever going to say it's good to have your eggs in one basket. Um, if you are, depending on the type of businesses you work in and the type of kind of owner that you are, you might want to have multiple different types of businesses. I mean, I myself, I have other businesses than just my tax firm. I mean, obviously my tax company is where most of my focus is, but I also have other businesses that are completely unrelated to tax. And that's just kind of what I like as a business owner and an entrepreneur. That's kind of my style. Um, but at the same time, you know, you have to always be prepared for worst case scenario. So I wouldn't want 100% of my wealth tied up in one business. I mean, even if it's a tax business, you know, what happens if Congress passes a flat tax? You know, what would that mean for me? I think we can agree that's probably very unlikely to ever happen in our lifetime, but you always have to be prepared for worst case scenarios. So if you are the type of business owner where, okay, let's say I have one business and I'm going to give 100% of my focus to that, then you need to be diversifying your passive investments. Um, you know, there's, there's other ways to make money than just running your business and you don't want everything tied up in that one business. Mm -hmm. So if that's your fact pattern, then I would strongly suggest, okay, well, how can we take some cash and, and take out some of the profits on a current basis and invest those in passive assets that are tax preferred so that, you know, you're going to make cash flow uh, on a tax or close to tax-free basis, yeah. while at the same time, you know, you're still focusing on, on your business. So diversification is always necessary. It just depends on, you know, how you want to accomplish that or what makes sense for you. Right. I, I, I got to think sometimes people also are just not, they don't know what the tax implications might be of doing that, right? Of getting that money out of that business and investing that elsewhere. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I want to ask you a question which might be impossible to answer again, and I know it's a general question, but the thing that, I, that I've always struggled with either for my own businesses or advising others is, and I'm talking about once I've got a business that's stable and maybe even to a mature level, the whole, like my, my partner David Begin is more of the philosophy of you take it all out, all the profit available to distribute out, you know, not, not counting what you're going to retain in earnings for working capital, but you take it all out because you can always put money back in. I've come around to more of that way of thinking for the point that we just discussed, because that money can be reinvested elsewhere. Do you have any thoughts on that or kind of your rule of thumb on looking at that? I mean, I, I still think that really depends on what your objectives are. I could certainly see a situation where I think that makes sense. And I understand that thought process and I, you know, taking out as much money as possible and you can always put it back in. That is definitely true. Um, the other thing I would say is, you know, if you're someone that is building a company that you really want to be, you know, the next startup, like the next, the, mm -hmm. if you're wanting to take this thing public, you know, you're definitely going to need to reinvest. And, and mm -hmm. I think taking the cash out is going to be very difficult. Right. Um, I personally, I'm very invested in, in building up my company, um, you know, given my age and where I am in my career. So I don't take a lot of the cash out. I actually reinvest a lot of it. Um so but you reinvest it because from a tax perspective, if it's just sitting there in cash and it was distributable, I'm paying tax on that anyway, right? Well, it depends. So, you know, I reinvest it from a business standpoint because yes, it makes sense yes, to me, yes, but I'm set up in a structure where those reinvestments are not, I'm not paying tax and then reinvesting it. No, I right, would generally right, right, never right. advise that. So, um, you know, 
I, there are mechanisms and structures that you can set up. Like for example, a C corporation can help you do that. And that would usually be recommended in a lot of cases, if you are going to reinvest, right. um, because you don't, the last thing you want, you know, Henry, as you mentioned, is, is to take out the cash, pay tax on it, and then reinvest yeah, and then it back in your it. company. Well, for after. example, when, when we had the car wash business, we had to build a reserve fund for capital improvements 10 years down the road. That, that was set up as a corporation and, and that's because that allowed us to retain that earning without having to pay income tax on it in part. Is that correct? That's right. Yes, definitely. You can retain those earnings and pay the lower corporate tax rate on that, which is always much more. It's, it's basically about half of at this point of what you would pay, you know, for someone at the highest rate as an individual. So that's definitely a good tax play to do it that way. Um, but there can be other ways to, to do it as well. Um, you know, on a, so that you're not in a situation where you're reinvesting after tax dollars. Do you, along those lines, do you generally prefer, if I do decide to take out the cash, because that's what makes best sense, that then when I bring it back into the company, I lend it to the business? That, that is a mechanism we use quite often is lending it to the business. But sometimes, you know, you might just, if you, to the extent you contribute it back into the business, you do get a basis credit for that. So without going, you know, too technical on that, um, you know, you, you build up the amount of your investment in that company. So that's going to reduce the, the gain that you have when you go to sell it. Right. So it would just depend on, you know, how far are we away from selling the company? Um, you know, does, can you get the benefits of the interest expense deduction if you loan the funds? Are there any other kind of restrictions in place that might impact, you know, a loan, and that kind of thing, because when you do do a loan to your business, it has to be a real loan. I mean, there is some work that yeah. needs to be done with that and some documentation. So there are different mechanisms and a loan is a very common one that you mentioned as well to, to do that. It might be a way also if uh, if we're disproportionately putting capital back into the business, if I have partners or uh, other owners rather. Yes, that's a very yeah. good point. That's yeah. true. Okay. W- what other common mistakes, Sharon, have you seen that we haven't touched on that, that you see business owners make as it relates to the overall structuring of their business that, that keeps us from maximizing our wealth building? Yeah, I mean, I think we touched on this already that the biggest mistake is just not having a plan, um, you know, having a good plan in place. And that plan needs to not only take into account your structure and the tax impact, but also things that, that we've also touched on like asset protection. Um, so making sure you have a plan, making sure that plan takes into account, you know, am I going to need a bunch of cash in two years to buy a house or to pay for my kid's college tuition, that kind of thing. So really, you know, planning for these key milestones in your life so that you have sufficient liquidity. Um, you know, another mistake I'll, I'll say I see made is with the way business owners then invest their savings and assets, you know, intended to, to build wealth. So for example, I still see a lot of people use, you know, 401ks and traditional IRAs. Um, You know, those are, I think are very kind of antiquated ways of deferring your tax liability. So that I am very anti-401ks and traditional IRAs. They are much, much better, uh, more tax preferred and and just better investments um, that can be made with that money. So I would say, you know, that's a common mistake I, I see made. And then I also see a lot of situations where, um, you know, someone will just, uh, they'll have their business and they focus on their business, but then they have a financial advisor manage, you know, all their investments. So 
that also, you know, you need to make sure you're educating yourself and not just kind of passively turning everything over to a financial advisor because they don't always, you know, sometimes it's in their best interest to keep all of, you know, as much of your money with them as possible. And, you know, they, they'll invest in like mutual funds and other mechanisms that are or investments that are really not tax preferred and also just aren't good investments. So I think, you know, those are kind of the biggest mistakes I see made um, a lot of the time. And, and it still amazes me that I, I have clients that come to me and say, well, my CPA told me to maximize my contributions to my 401k or my, you know, IRA. That I think, you know, that that's really not thinking about things on like a holistic basis. And that's not the way I think, you know, people really, really plan to really build real wealth through those types of tools. Mm -hmm. Now, all right, let me go back to those two. The, the 401k, I mean, once we become business owners, I, I usually, unless I have, I'm offering a 401k through my business. Is that what you mean? Where I might participate as an owner as well and put money into a 401k? Or are you yeah, talking so, about while I'm still a W-2 employee? Yeah, unless you're offering it through a business, it's probably going to be an IRA right, or a SEP right. IRA. So, yeah. it, but it doesn't matter, you know, unless you have a company, unless you're an employee of a company, which is not going to be, you know, our case as yeah. business owners, then those those 401ks and IRAs never make sense. Okay, so let me ask you that because I, I just contributed because I haven't gotten your guidance yet. I just contributed uh, the maximum to my IRA thinking that at least it comes off my adjusted gross income and I pay less taxes. What am I missing there? So IRAs, traditional IRAs, if, if you can invest in a Roth IRA, those are more preferred because there you don't get the tax deduction going in. You pay tax on the income, right. but then you contribute to the Roth IRA and then those earnings grow tax-free. Right. So, you know, the sooner you can start a Roth IRA, I mean, I, I recommend clients that have the, the capability or the funds available to start those for their kids, because, you know, if you think about having a Roth IRA from the time that you're, you know, one or two, and then the ability for those earnings to grow tax-free, the amount that those funds will be, you know, when you get to retirement age is just unbelievable. And it's, it's all tax-free. It comes out tax-free. So the reason traditional IRAs don't work is that, you know, you, you get the tax deduction now, but then you still have to pay tax when you take it out. When I take it out. Yeah. With and your argument you're, always being that I'll be at a lower tax bracket then, but that, especially for us that are business owners, that, that may not be the case, I hope. That if that is you're planning to then not have a lot of money at retirement. That's so, right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, and even if you are in a lower tax bracket, if you're in a tax bracket that's lower than the capital gains tax rate, so that would be, you know, I would be concerned about your kind of overall I'm, financial I'm, I'm, situation I'm, I'm, at that I'm point. I'm broke at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and you also have to take the money out. I mean, my clients are um, very rarely in a situation that if you plan properly, that you really even need to draw on these accounts, um, but you're required to take it. So they have required minimum distributions. So you don't have a lot of flexibility there, but it's really, you know, the vast majority, when you get to the point that you're taking distributions from your, your IRA, the amount of those distributions that is what you contributed is going to be very small in proportion to the earnings. And so you're paying full ordinary income tax rates on earnings that really would have otherwise been subject to capital gains tax rates. So they're terrible in that sense. They're also terrible in the sense of 
um, you know, there's not a lot of flexibility in what you can and can't invest in in an IRA and a four is certainly a 401k for sure. Right. So a lot of the ability to invest in those vehicles is limited, whereas a Roth IRA provides a lot more flexibility in that sense. And you also don't have to take the required minimum distributions. But they're also the reason these these plans are very, very terrible is that from an estate tax perspective, your heirs are going to be subject to tax on everything that's in those accounts. So at ordinary income rates. So it's terrible from, you know, you know, you're assuming also that tax rates won't go up when we, I think we don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I think most people agree that tax rates are going to go up because, you know, if you look at the debt that we have and, um, just the type of situation this country's in right now, we know tax rates are going up in the future. So I don't think it's ever beneficial to get the deduction today at lower tax rates than it would be in the future. And so okay. those those mechanisms are just not very good. And then, you know, a lot of, there are income limitations on your ability to use a Roth IRA. Uh, and if you are limited, there are other ways that we can do other investment strategies that can kind of mimic the same treatment. So you're not just, don't think, oh, I, I can't contribute to a Roth IRA, so let me do a traditional IRA. There's other mechanisms out there, and there's there's ways that people who have built significant wealth use, and I can tell you they're not using traditional IRAs and 401ks. Yeah, yeah. All right, thanks for educating me on that. And that leads me to kind of one of the final questions here is, I think this is what's so difficult and exasperating for small business owners is, you know, I consider myself a fairly savvy business person and have been around for a while. And yet it can be so confusing, Sharon, and you get such different, maybe slightly different advice from people. So it leads me to this question. How, how should I begin to find the right tax professional for me? What, what are, what are some of the things I should look for? Yeah, and that, that's a great question. So I think you want to make sure that, um, you know, I, I always tell my clients, one of the, the biggest benefits that I can provide is that I'm also a business owner, you know, I own multiple businesses, I'm also a real estate investor. So I really understand the day to day issues that my clients are facing, you know, I've gone through them, I've, I've gone through the challenges to start my own businesses. Um, I've acquired, you know, and, and disposed of businesses. So I really understand what the issues are that you face. So I think finding someone who can really provide that practical guidance to you, rather than I would always recommend not using someone who's just kind of a self-employed CPA, works for themselves or, you know, with a few other employees, um, I would really, you know, use someone that really understands and also runs their company as a business themselves. And, you know, the other thing is you want to use someone who's going to be proactive, who's going to reach out to you who is really going to talk to you more about, you know, okay, what are you invested in? What are your assets? What, are, what is your business doing? What are your goals? And not just, okay, when can you get me your 1099s and, you know, and your W-2s and that type of thing. So you don't want a tax person who's just going to view themselves as someone who prepares your return and gets that out to you and, you know, you sign it and then they go away for a year. You want someone who's really going to be a member of your team and a member of your wealth building team. Um, you know, the other thing I, I think one of the best best pieces of advice I got when I was starting my business was, um, you know, someone said to me, don't ever take advice from someone you wouldn't trade places with. Hmm. And I think about that a lot when I'm thinking about, you know, what advisors to use, you know, if I, if I look at, okay, what attorney do I want to use for my business or what insurance agent, you know, make sure it's someone who's been very successful in their own field, because, 
that's kind of a proven track record that their own advice works if they've been able to, to do that themselves. So I don't know how many CPAs I've met that they pay a lot in taxes because they don't do any planning. And it, I, I always kind of wonder, okay, well, how can you advise someone on this when you're not kind of living and breathing that as well? So those right. are kind of some tips I would think about when you're choosing the right tax professional. Yeah, I think that's huge. Uh, so thanks for that. And I think the thing you touched on that came to mind as well that people should be careful with is I personally, that's just my opinion. Be curious to see what you think. You got to be careful with going the financial planner route. That's not a fee base, not a fiduciary. In other words, similar to what you said, be careful for people who make money based on the guidance that they give you from an investment perspective. Because I think that that's where people end up, Sharon, is they end up with a financial planner then to get some of this guidance, don't they? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you're you're exactly right, Henry. I would never use a financial planner who does not have that kind. Of, I think it's a RIA, a registered investment advisor, where they have mm-hmm. that fiduciary duty to you. And so, I think that's very important. Um, you have to really think about, you know, what incentive does this person have to give me this advice versus something else? When it comes to financial planners, I mean, I. I prefer usually to use someone that's going to be more of a wealth manager that can really, instead of someone that's going to manage my stock portfolio every year, I prefer someone who can sit down with me maybe once every year, every few years and say, okay, Sharon, like, this is what you're thinking. This is what I would recommend. Um, rather than someone who's just going to say, give me all your money. Let me put it in stocks and see if I can beat the the market, yeah, which yeah. rarely ever happens as we know. So rarely happens. Okay. A lot that we've talked about here, if it's making my head spin, I know others listening <laughs> might be making their head spin as well. So let's say uh, like myself, I mean, what I've done is I, I've hired you, right? But I, I'm successful with business, you know, not spectacularly successful, but successful enough. I have multiple businesses. Where do I start with getting my arms around everything that we've talked about? What is your recommendation? So I think what makes sense, Henry, is to start with a tax strategy. And so with that, you know, we'll start with coming up with a plan. And then, you know, from there, we can talk about what, okay, what are next steps? What are the recommended changes to your structure or how you operate, that type of thing. But I always recommend start with a tax strategy, no matter where you are in your, you know, process of of businesses and whether you haven't started yet or whether you're getting close to, you know, selling we should sit down and we should really examine, you know, what is the plan for the future and for going forward. And if somebody wants to do that with you, the first step is to schedule a free phone consultation, correct? Yes, they can go to the website at winsmithtax.com and schedule a free consultation with me. And we, we mentioned this earlier, but you offer a guarantee on these savings as far as the tax strategy work that you do for clients. I do. So I think it's always important to really stand behind, um, you know, the service you're providing. So if I cannot identify, you know, a way to, to save taxes in your structure, because I don't know, let's just say you're already like really sophisticated and, and you're already optimized, then I'm not going to charge you. So I only charge the extent I can provide value to you and, and identify ways to, to save you money going forward. In this free coaching consultation that you do, or it's not coaching, it's a tax consulting free call. Do you also help with identifying, okay, I, I can help you or you're not quite what, what I'm able to help with or at this point, call me when you're at this level. In other words, identifying, I can help you, but maybe I, you're not quite at the level where I can help another person. Do you help identify that in that free call? 
I do. I definitely do. I'm very upfront about, okay, you know, if, if this is not the point in time where, where I think I can really help you or where it makes sense for me to come in, then I'll be right upfront about that. So as not to waste your time. Um, you know, if, if you're a business owner and you don't have the money to kind of spend on a strategy session, then it's probably not the right time for us to, to meet. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so definitely I'll, I'll be upfront and, and not waste anyone's time about if it makes sense or if I'm the right person to help. Wonderful. All right. We'll start to wrap it up. I'm always looking for a book recommendation. Is there a book that you would recommend to me? There is. So I, I actually read so much. I know, Henry, you and I talk a lot about what we're reading. Um, yep. I'll recommend two. So I think Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I think everyone, mm-hmm. you know, a lot. I hear a lot of people say that, that is, should be required reading in my mind for every, you know, before everyone graduates high school. But uh, since most of us have read that one, I would also recommend The Greatest Salesman in the World. That was another book that kind of fundamentally changed the way I, you know, think about my business and think about my life. So that was a very helpful book. Um, and it's very short. It's a quick read. So I would recommend, you know, any business owner pick it up and, and flip through it. Wonderful. I have not read The Greatest Salesman in the World, so I'm putting that on my list. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I agree. I made my daughter read it in high school. Uh, to me, it was really life-altering the way I thought about investments about an asset. And so I I think it's a must read as well. Absolutely. Thanks for those recommendations. We'll have links to both of those, as well as a link to make it easy for you to go and schedule the free consultation with Sharon. You can find that on the show notes page for this episode at thehowabusiness.com. All right, Sharon, we'll we'll wrap it up. What's, What's one thing, if you had to say one thing that you would like us to take away from this conversation we've had about this broad topic of wealth building for small business owners, what's one thing you want us to take away? I think just be proactive and to get a plan in place as soon as possible. That would be my number one recommendation for any business owner out there. And this plan, as you've articulated, takes into account these, trying to project out these milestones in our life that we need to plan for so that we take best advantage of the wealth that we've built and the best advantage of the tax structure in those future points in time. Is that fair? That's right. That's exactly right. All right. Where do you, where do you want us to go online to learn more and also to schedule the free consultation? Yeah, you can go directly to our website at winsmithtax.com or feel free to email me directly at Sharon at winsmithtax.com. And winsmith is W-I-N-S-M-I-T-H, winsmithtax.com. That's right. One word. All right. Fantastic. I knew this would be a great conversation. I learned a lot. I have a lot of questions now that I'm going to ask you when we have our tech strategy session. Thank you for taking the time, indulging all of my questions, educating me and being with me today on the show. Thank you, Henry. It's always a pleasure. This is Henry Lopez. And thanks for joining me on this episode of the How of Business. My guest today again was Sharon Winsmith. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.